Well, good morning. Good to see you all here. What a great time of worship already together this morning. I've enjoyed being able to sing together. And getting to hear from the stewards was really awesome. When they were here last summer, uh, we went to dinner with Montgomery's and the stewards. And uh, I think one of the things that's most enjoyable is when you see people you care about being cared about by other people. Um, And so it's cool to see their relationship and their co-laboring in ministry. And uh, we had a lot of fun getting to know them. Uh, We are continuing in our series this morning uh, called The Journey to the Cross, and uh, we are um, really excited about the text this morning. It's a pretty serious story. It's the story of Peter denying the Lord Jesus three times. And uh, as we get into this, uh, obviously next Sunday is Easter Sunday, uh, so we'll be celebrating the resurrection of our Lord. Uh, That also makes today Palm Sunday. And uh, on Palm Sunday, we know that as the Lord rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, uh, that the people began to lay the palm branches down to cry out Hosanna, Hosanna uh, to the son of David. And, and basically what they're saying is God save us now. And uh, one of my favorite uh, texts is Matthew 21 because the scribes and Pharisees were losing their minds because there's children in the temple saying Hosanna, Hosanna to Jesus. And so they're, they're expressing his messianic authority. And uh, obviously it's the very same crowd of people who were there for the celebration who just days later would say, crucify him. And so it's a very heavy week, a very serious week. And as we look at this, um, uh, as we look forward to uh, our text, I just want to remind us of where we've been in Mark 14 and kind of just give us the context of where we are so that we're mindful of this week we're in. And so just uh, in the last few weeks and starting in verses 12 through 25, we saw that Jesus, the night that he is to be betrayed, he is in the upper room enjoying a meal with his disciples, and more specifically, the Lord's Supper, right? He gives full meaning, he gives new meaning to the Passover. And instead of sacrificing a new lamb every year, he is now the lamb who is sacrificed. And the thing with him is he not only protects us from the wrath of God, but he satisfies the wrath of God. It's no longer on us. And so Jesus has this supper in the upper room, and he tells him that it's my body that's going to be broken for you, it's my blood that will be shed for you. And so In that same conversation moments later, though, Jesus looks at the 12 and says, one of you will betray me. And they're looking around. They're trying to figure out, oh, is it me? Is it me? And and they're they're trying to figure out what's going on. And then shortly after that, Jesus tells them that every single one of you will flee for fear of what's going to happen to me. And we know Peter, right? Peter uh, very enthusiastically says, not I, Lord. I won't leave you. Even if the rest of the 11 guys, they leave you, I'm not going anywhere. I've got you. Uh, and Jesus looks right at Peter and says, before this night is over, you will deny me. Or before the crow, the cock crows twice, you will deny me thrice. Right? And so Peter then doubles down and says, I will die before I betray you. And the other disciples kind of nod their heads like, yeah, what he said. We're with him. And so we know um, they move from there to the garden where Jesus often went, where he would reflect and where he would pray. He brings Peter, James, and John. He asks them to come with him and to watch and to pray with him. And we know that they dozed off on three occasions. And Jesus finally says, alas, my accuser or my my betrayer is here. And so we know Judas, who followed Jesus for three years, now comes, embraces him. He is arrested, and he is taken away to a trial by the Sanhedrin. And as Pastor Mike made very clear last week, this trial that they had was an illegal trial. Uh, It was not appropriate. And during this trial, they're trying to get witnesses to agree on Jesus needing to be killed, and they can't. And so the high priest finally just looks right at him and says, are you the son of the blessed? And Jesus says, I am. And we know that at that moment, 
that they basically say, well, we don't need any more evidence. We need to kill him. He has committed blasphemy. And so they take him, and he's in this, in this setting, and we know that Peter, uh, from our text and from the text earlier, he is actually down below in a courtyard, and he's by a fire being warmed. And so during the course of Jesus' in- interrogation, uh, Peter is nearby, and he's hearing what is going on. Very likely, in fact, that when they declared Jesus guilty, that Peter heard the strikes against his face and the spitting upon him. And so Peter is hearing all these things. He has just recently uh, abandoned his Lord, and he has come near to see what was happening, and that is what he's experiencing. And so Peter's down below, and he is experiencing what is happening. And the thing that's so important as we get into our text to remember is that Jesus is taken willingly. He willingly gives of himself to go to the cross. No one forces him. No one makes him. He is completely submitted and rested in the will of the Father. And so as we look at our text uh, this morning, we're going to look at verses 66 through 72. We're going to look at the three denials of Peter, and then we'll have some uh, takeaway thoughts that we'll consider. And so if you will, let's stand together in honor uh, of the word of God, and let's read our text. Mark 14, verses 66 through 72. And as Peter was beneath in the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest, And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, And thou also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand I what thou sayest. And he went out into the porch, and the cock crew. And a maid saw him again, and began to say to them that stood by, This is one of them. And he denied it again. And a little later, they that stood by said again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them. For thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeeth thereto. But he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom you speak. And the second time the cock crew. And Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him, Before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he thought thereon, he wept. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you for the privilege it is to open your word And Lord, we pray that you would add your blessing to the reading of your word, and now that your spirit would help guide us into truth and draw us closer to your heart this morning. We love you, and we ask and pray these things in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. And so, uh, as we get into our text, uh, we know that a lot has happened in a very short time. And as we look at uh, verse 66 through 68, we are going to see the first denial of Peter against Jesus. And so in verse 66, this is what we find. And as Peter was beneath in the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And so we know that Peter, as I said a moment ago, he is actually on the premises where Jesus is being interrogated. Uh, It's almost as if in this text, we're going back a little bit to kind of catch up to where Peter is. Peter's here being warmed by the fire. Jesus is up above being interrogated. And so we know that uh, Peter, uh, initially, uh, he aggressively reacted to the men trying to arrest Jesus. He cuts their ear off. And then once they arrest Jesus, they all run away. And now we have Peter kind of coming back to see what's going on. Uh, very interesting in my mind that he wouldn't have just hightailed it out of there, right? That he wouldn't have just called it good. It's over. Nothing's going, nothing good's coming from this. I'm out. Right? Instead, he follows closely. And in verse 67, we see that when, when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, And thou also wast with Jesus of Nazareth. And so uh, here, it's interesting in my mind, uh, in, in John, in the parallel account, we find that this maid is actually the doorkeeper to that courtyard. 
And so she would have been the one kind of allowing people to come in and come out. And uh, it appears as though that she also migrated over to the fire uh, for warmth. And while she's over there, and I would assume that the fire is illuminating the, the space around them, she sees Peter's face. And her accusation is not very targeted. It's, it's quite broad. She just says, and you were with him. Right? You were one of the people that was with Jesus. And uh, Peter very clearly in verse 68 says, but he denied saying, I know not, neither understand I what you sayest. And he went out into the porch and the cock crew. It's interesting with what Peter says here. It's actually a, a Jewish legal expression. Uh, it's almost as if he's saying, I cannot confirm nor deny what you are saying to me right now. Uh, it's almost like he is very much passively um, throwing off what she has said to him. Hey, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, I can't, I, I don't even really know where you're coming from. And in order to avoid further conversation, what's he do? He retreats away from the warmth of the fire. Uh, and, and it's interesting, uh, sometimes when we are being confronted or when we perceive a confrontation is coming, uh, one of the natural things we do is we get out of there, right? And so Peter moves away. Uh, when I was at school in Chicago, they had, uh, we, we used transit, so we used trains and buses. And during the winter months, you would have to stand outside sometimes for 5, 10, 15 minutes. And they had these covered overhangs that had heaters in them that would warm a small space in there. And so you loved it when you got up there and you were the only one, right? Because you've got both heaters hitting you and you're enjoying it. But then as more people come, you kind of got to scoot in and scoot back. And at some point, if you're like me, you get uncomfortable and you move, right? And so it's almost like even though the warmth was providing comfort to Peter, he knew that if he didn't move, more confrontation was coming. So he got out. Right? And so he moves, and what I want us to see in this first accusation is it's very broad. It's very general. Basically, she's saying, hey, you were an acquaintance of Jesus. You were around him. Right? Uh, and, and basically, he just denies it outright, and he almost is just very dismissive of what she has said. Okay? But as we continue, we're going to see that the accusations get more targeted, and therefore the denials get more personal. Right? And so if you look in verse um, 69... It says, and a maid saw him again and began to say to them that stood by, this is one of them. There's um, some conversation in various commentaries about who this maid is uh, being referred to here. But for reasons I mentioned earlier, I believe that um, by John's account, she is the doorkeeper. And so I think it's the same maid. I think that she sees him move over and then she sees him inching closer to the door again to see what's happening. And this time, notice, she doesn't just say it to him. She says it to him, those around him. She's talking to the people around Peter, saying, hey, I think he's one of them. Right? And so the accusation has now attracted more people. And so Peter is called out once more. And again, I think it's so interesting that after he gets caught the first time, he doesn't just leave. He just saw what happened to Jesus. Jesus was arrested. He's been taken up above. He's being uh, interrogated, and at this point, he may be being struck. We don't know exactly what's happening in the, in the narrative, but why did he not just run, right? And yet, here he is. Peter is standing near, and he is caught once more. And so, uh, he's caught, and it's, it's, it, she says, this is one of them. And so, what's happened is we've moved from a, a broad statement of being an acquaintance of Jesus to you are one of them. Basically, you are one of the disciples. You are one of the followers of Jesus. You weren't just someone that followed in the crowd and watched the cool things he did. You were one of them. Right? And so Peter quickly denies it. And uh, just shortly after in this next verse, in verse 70, uh, it says that he denied it again. And a little after, they that stood by again to Peter 
Surely thou art one of them. And so in the, in the next accusation, we find that it's not just um, him being spoken to or the people around him, but now the people around him are accusing him of being one of them. And so it says at the end of verse 70, for thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeth thereto. And so the accusation has gotten more specific and, and, and by the means of they know where he's from. They're not just, they're not just, not just saying he's a follower of Jesus. They're saying, hey, you're from the area that people followed him from. You are a Galilean. And the way they knew he was a Galilean was his voice. Uh, in the um, Bible Knowledge Commentary, we're told that Galileans had a, 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 a slightly different dialect, and so their accent was slightly different. And so when they were speaking, they could be noticed, they could be heard. And Matthew, in his account, also makes very clear that it's because of his accent that he is called out. Uh, and so they're like, hey, look, we know you're one of them because we know you're a Galilean, you sound just like them. Right? So now Peter has been really put into a corner here. It's no longer a broad accusation, it's now a very specific accusation. And he has to take very drastic steps here to get out from underneath this. And so look with me in verse 71. He began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom you speak. Prior to studying this and prior to spending time in this, I've always thought this to mean that Peter let off some inappropriate words and that he was cursing and that he was swearing. But upon further study, it appears that what Peter's actually doing is he is invoking a curse from God upon himself if what he is saying is not true. And so it's almost like he's saying, look, I am telling you the truth. I'm, I'm so convinced that I'm telling you the truth that God cursed me if I'm wrong. And, and just before this, they say in verse 70, surely thou art one of them. The word surely has this connotation of truly, truly, or for sure, or no doubt you are one of them. They are convinced now, right? They're not, they're not buying his, his denials. They are convinced he is who they think he is. And so he says, God curse me if that be true. What a, what a steep thing to say. Uh, in essence, he's saying, God, strike me down if I am lying right now. Right? And we know that Peter indeed is lying. And so what happens, uh, I failed to mention earlier in the text, it's in there, but the, the, the cock crowed after the first time he denied. And now we find in verse 72, in the second time the cock crew, and Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said to him. Before the cock crowed twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he thought thereon, he wept. And so it's very interesting to me in verse 72 that Peter is made aware of the fact that he has sinned and that he has rejected the Lord Jesus, not because the crow made the noise it made, but because the words of Jesus were brought to his mind. The word of Christ has a supernatural ability to penetrate through the hardness of our heart and confront our sin. And uh, you guys have experienced this to a degree, I would assume. You know, when you see someone in the hallway and all of a sudden it clicks, like, oops, I didn't text them back. Or, you know, you're doing something and all of a sudden a bill you're supposed to pay comes to your mind. And so sometimes there's stimuli that remind us of something else that's going on. And in this case, the cock crowing the second time, it kind of almost makes Peter aware of the fact of what the word said. And it's very interesting that, that the word of God uh, has this ability to be brought to mind and to convict Peter of what he has done wrong. And so we find that... Um, at the end of verse 72, and when he thought thereon, he wept. And it's hard to imagine what Peter's going through in this moment. He's followed Jesus three years. He is a dear friend of the Lord's, and he has denied him thrice. Uh, that's a, I love that word, by the way. I'm not used to saying thrice. He's denied him thrice. And now he is alone, and our text leaves us here. Our text doesn't give us any more 
uh, the text that we have this morning, and the text ends at the end of this chapter just with Peter grieving. And so he has made this grave mistake. He has been made aware of it. And what we're going to talk about in a few minutes is, is what do we do when we've gotten to that place? It's far easier when we've fallen into sin or when we've made a mistake to just keep digging that hole, isn't it? It's far easier to address what has happened. It's far easier just to keep letting things go and go and go. What's difficult is to humble ourselves and to recognize, I need to get this right. And so Peter, as we'll see in a few minutes uh, in this text, or in our, in our later text, he does get things right. And the, the thing that is interesting in Luke also, we know that Jesus actually looks at Peter at the time of his third denial. And uh, man, to see the face of the Lord that you just for a third time betrayed. And I, I, would, I would venture to say that the face that he saw was not one of condemnation, but one of compassion. The Lord Jesus is one who, even though we have failed him over and over, even though we are not worthy of knowing him, yea, even receiving of his sacrifice, he gives it freely. And so I believe that Peter was grieved bitterly because he saw that the Lord was having compassion towards him, not anger. And I think that grieved his heart deeply. And so as, um, and, and we, and as he's amening, it comes to my mind, when we grieve someone's heart that we love and we know that we've grieved them, it breaks us up, doesn't it? And so Peter is at this place. And so uh, as, we, as we look, as I said a moment ago, our text is over. Uh, we're left here uh, with Peter having denied Jesus, being grieved, and, and, our, and Mark basically says, well, that's it. We're going to move on now. Uh, and we'll see more next week. But that's where our text ends. And so what I want to do for the next few minutes is just, just talk through some takeaways uh, from Peter's life, what's happened in this text, and thank goodness of what's going to happen new and soon. Aren't you glad that Verse 72 isn't the end of the account of Peter's life. It's such a blessing to know that though he failed greatly, that Jesus' grace was sufficient for him. And so as we think about this, one thing I want to share with us in, before I go to the takeaways is just to compare and contrast Peter and Jesus in this text. We see with Jesus that he was condemned by his own confession, right? Uh, but with Peter, we see that he is made free by his own lies, his own denial. The next thing, Jesus is innocent of all the charges against him. Right? You can't blaspheme if you are indeed God. Right? So he's innocent of these charges, but Peter's guilty. The next thing we see is that Jesus is under interrogation. Peter is warming himself by a fire. We see that uh, Jesus is undaunted and unfazed when he is faced with official witnesses. Peter is shaking in his boots when a maidservant asks questions. And then lastly, when Jesus is asked a direct question, he replies with, I am. Jesus is directly asked, are you the son of God? And he says, yes, I am. Peter's asked a direct question, uh, and instead of admitting that he's a follower of Jesus, he invokes the curse of God upon himself. And what, what brings it to mind for me is the reality that man, us, we are totally incapable of keeping the commands of God. We are totally hopeless without the work of Christ. I love how we see that man in the face of fear will make mistakes, but then we see that the God-man is faithful. And though he is faced with uh, persecution and, and, and trial, that he is staying steady and staying faithful. And so uh, our texts leave us again with Peter's recognition of his guilt. And what I want to do now for the next few minutes is just talk about a few takeaways. The first one is this. If we stop and think about it, we realize that we too at times deny the Lord Jesus. We too at times are given to denying 
who he is and his work in our life. The first thing that comes to mind when I think about this is the failure to take advantage of opportunities to talk about him. Uh, we are often given opportunities to express our love for Jesus and our relationship to him. And if you're anything like me, we're not always prepared for them. And we don't always take advantage of them. I was in the front yard of Braden this week, and we were playing. And uh, with him, he's starting to run. And so one moment, you can be you know, watching him, and another, you're looking at a tree, and he's bolting. You know? So you've got to go, go after him. Don't want him running in the street, obviously. But my neighbor comes out and asks me the, the best question in the world to be asked. He says, what do you do for a living? And in that moment, uh, I honestly had some marbles in my mouth. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm a pastor. Uh, I teach and I encourage and I train. And, and what was missing in my response was, why do I do that? My goal, my desire with my son, with my family, with this church, is that you would know Jesus by the teaching of his word, love him and serve him. That's what I want. Now, is that what I said in that moment? Nope. I had marbles in my mouth. And so I've, I have been convicted by this this week. And of all texts that I had to teach on, this is the one. And for me, my desire now is I'm going to go after Evan. I'm going to try to find opportunities where I can ask him questions and where I can go after him and talk to him about what I do, but more importantly, who I am because of what Christ has done. Right? And so I just want to encourage us. We, at times, don't take advantage of the opportunities in front of us. The next thing, if we're not careful, we can deny Jesus by our lifestyle choices. Um, it's, it's one thing to come to the house of worship and to sing and to hear teaching, uh, but we also have to keep in mind that you now are the temple of God. Corinthians, we're told that, you know, in the Old Testament, you would go to the temple to, to be around the presence of God, but now the presence of God dwells in you. And so the way that I live, the things that I look at, the things that I do when no one else is around, those things, in some regard, can be a denial of the lordship of Christ in my life. And so we have to be on guard. We have to be careful of our choices. Um, and then uh, the last one, we're in a study called The Explicit Gospel, actually in both of our small groups. I see a few of you in here. And Matt Chandler is breaking down uh, in one of the lessons that you and I are naturally born evangelists. We evangelize without even thinking about it, without even trying. Uh, evangelism is just the idea of you're heralding good news. You're proclaiming good news. And you and I are really good at proclaiming when we've had a good meal. We're really good at heralding our favorite sports team. We're really good at heralding an accomplishment of our kids. And for some reason, though, if you're anything like me, we're not always very good about heralding the work of Christ in our life. And why is that? And uh, he challenges us in the study that the reason for this is, at times, uh, we have a misplaced sense of worship. We have a misplaced sense of priority. And, and ultimately, Jesus should, above all things, be proclaimed through my life. All right? And so there's a few things I think we can do to help mitigate that and help work on it. I think first one is get into that text of Scripture and let's learn about our Lord and how amazing he is. So that when opportunities come, it just flows. And then I think the second thing I want to challenge us with is get a list Write down two to three people who are your neighbor, who are your coworker, someone you're going to be praying for consistently and looking for opportunities to engage. Because the reality is it's not going to just happen. We have to be ready, right? We have to be intentional. And so that's the first thing. You and I, I believe, at least I'm going to put myself there. I won't put you there. I am tempted to deny Christ. The second thing is this. God's word convicts our sinful hearts, and it leads us to repentance. I'll take us back to our text. Peter uh, once the second sound of the crow goes off, he, the words of Christ are brought back to his mind, and he is grieved. And what I want to do is just briefly contrast the life of Peter with the life of Judas. 
Judas, when he realizes what he has done, when he is aware of his sin and the consequences of it, he is grieved by it. But that grief leads him to taking his own life. That grief leads him, in my opinion, to giving up, so to speak. And, and what's so sad about that is that he had the same access to the grace of God that Peter had. He had the same opportunity to receive forgiveness and to receive restoration, and yet he did not. And then we have Peter, on the other hand, when he is grieved by what the word of God has revealed to him, he is moved to what's called a godly sorrow. And Pastor Mike's talked about this before. There's two kinds of sorrows. There's worldly sorrow, godly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is I got caught, and I'm upset that I got caught, right? And we've all been there. We've all got caught doing something we weren't supposed to, whether it's you're sneaking that extra cookie or I don't know what it is, what you get caught doing. But you get caught, and you feel bad just because you got caught. Godly sorrow, though, is that which leads us to repentance. It's that which leads us to recognition of sin and going to the only place we can go to get it fixed, the Lord Jesus. And so Peter demonstrates that when he was convicted and when he was grieved, it moved him to relationship and, and, and reconciliation with the Lord. Uh, and I think in Hebrews 4.12 is one of my favorite verses. It says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And so we know that the word of God is alive. That's what it means to be quick. It's alive and it is powerful. The word of God is that which spoke into being all things and now sustains them. And it's that same word that when we surrender to it can break through the sinfulness of our hearts and reconcile us to him. And so we need the word of God in our lives. We need a strong, heavy dose of the word of God in our lives. And so let's be people who are often in the word letting it do its work in us. We cannot come to knowledge of our brokenness and of our sinfulness lest we behold the glory of God. And how do we do that? His word. That is how I behold his glory. And so, uh, and, and what's so cool here is that in spite of Peter's betrayal, in spite of him denying Jesus three times, that he is reconciled back to the Lord. And that he is given not only an opportunity to have a relationship with the Lord, but now to be sent to go serve the Lord. Third observation, really quickly, and this one I'm, I'm ex especially excited about, is, is that what happens in the life of Mark. And so um, the third one is this, God ministers in and through our brokenness. It's very important we recognize that brokenness is one of the key means through which God receives glory through our lives. He delights in working in and through us when we don't have it all together, because when I don't have it all together, where do I go? To him. And so I'm not called to minister in the absence of brokenness, but in the presence of brokenness. And so what we see here is that God is a God who delights in working in and through us when we make mistakes. And uh, as I think about this, I'm excited about that when we think about Mark, John Mark is his name, his surname. He is the one who wrote the gospel according to Mark. And what we know um, from scripture is that he came to know the Lord and he came to confess Jesus as Lord through the ministry of Peter. And so we know that John Mark gets saved and he begins to do ministry and his uncle Barnabas is the one who goes out with Paul on, the first, on that missionary journey, right? They bring Mark with them and as they're on their way, what does Mark do? He bails. He's like, I'm out. We don't know exactly why, but likely for fear, he's out of here. He's out. But later we find that Barnabas is trying to bring Mark back with him 
him and Paul are fighting over it. They break apart, right? And so they go their separate ways. And we're left with this kind of perplexing image that in this early ministry that these two uh, ministers have had to part ways. And yet 20 years later, Paul writes in his letter to the church in Colossae, he refers to John Mark as someone who is beneficial to him in the ministry. He refers to him as someone who is near to him, who is a comfort to him. There's other parts in the New Testament where Paul is writing as he's in jail that Mark is someone who is a comfort to him. And it's so cool to see that their relationship was reconciled. Right? At once, Paul was like, I don't want to see this guy again, get him out of here. And now he's in jail 20 years later, and he's alone, and he is writing to the churches to say, hey, if Mark comes through to your church, make sure you love on him and you give to him what he needs to get him on his way. Because here's what Mark's been doing the whole time. He's been in Egypt, and he's been making disciples. He plants the first church in Alexandria. And we know later that Mark is actually pulled out into the street. He's beaten, jailed, and ultimately he is burned for his confession of the work of Christ. So we have a guy who, at one point in his life, bails out on the ministry because he's afraid, who then later is found confessing the Lord Jesus Christ unto his death. And the reason I share all this is because if it wasn't for the grace of God in the life of a man named Peter, John Mark would not have written this book. John Mark is a convert, and he is a believer in Jesus Christ because Peter shared the gospel with him. Peter, who had made grave mistake, was restored to the Lord Jesus and sent out to minister, and he did just that. And what we need to keep clear is that though we might not get things right every time, though we might make mistakes, that God wants to work in you and to work through you. And, and there's a sense in which throughout the New Testament, there's example after example of broken men and broken women who God restores and ministers through. Okay, so God ministers through our brokenness. And so uh, as we come to a close this morning with our time in the, in the word, um, just the two key thoughts that I want to leave us with and really that I want to comfort you with if I can. As believers, we have a great comfort because we know that when we deny the lordship of Jesus in our life, that his word will confront us, restore us, and comfort us. That's what his word will do. When I've failed him, when I've made a mistake, he graciously confronts me, and he brings me back, and he comforts me. And then the second thing is this, that he ministers in and through me in spite of my brokenness. And so if you're here, if you're on stream, and, and you don't have a relationship to Jesus at this time. I hope that this morning you've come to realize the graciousness of God through Christ. That though you and I earn none of this, we aren't worthy of any of this. And even though we make mistake after mistake, that he still restores us by his grace and ministers through us. So I'd like to pray at this time if you want to stand with me. We'll go ahead and prepare to close our service. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you so much for the clear message of grace that we see in this text. Lord, thank you that in spite of Peter's failures, that the Lord Jesus restored him and sent him out to be a minister of the gospel. Lord, as we look ahead to Easter this coming Sunday, Lord, we thank you so much for the sacrificial death of Christ on the cross. We thank you that he was risen and that he is alive indeed. And I pray that you would mobilize us to be people on mission because we serve a God who is alive and who is in the business of restoring broken people. We love you and we ask and we pray these things in your precious name. Amen.